And so here's the thing. Look, we've been talking about how Grace Life has grown, how uh, different things are happening, and I'm really excited for all of that. I'm excited that you're here. If you're a guest, if you're new uh, to Grace Life, I'm excited for the baptisms. Um, I'm, I'm excited for all of you that are here today. But what I want to share with you is God's heart for those who are not here today. Matter of fact, not only are they not here, they're not going to be worshiping God anywhere today. And so I, I want to show you a story of an interaction Jesus had. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 at the very beginning of the chapter. And it should be no surprise to you, Jesus is getting in trouble again. Uh, if you've ever read the Gospels, Jesus seems to get in trouble with the people of the day a whole lot. And uh, so it starts like this. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, well, they were grumbling. They were complaining and saying, can you believe it? This man eats with sinners. He receives sinners and he eats with them. He hangs out with them. Oh my gosh. Let me help you understand the context of this a little bit. The Israelites, the nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people upon the earth. Well, you know, humanity has a pride problem. They always have. So if everybody in your nation is one of God's people, you have to figure out a way to make yourself special again. And so they came up with groups of really special religious people. The Pharisees were one of those groups. The Sadducees were one of those groups. If you ever read the Bible and you come across those names, they were just little religious clubs that they had made amongst themselves. And the Pharisees, they were the largest group. They were the most dominant. They were the most influential. Uh, they were powerful in their positions and in their money. And you wanted to be in good standing with the Pharisees, or they may tell people not to shop at your olive oil business or whatever the story was. And the scribes were the ones who helped enforce and teach people their roles. God had his commandments and the Pharisees expanded the list. And then the scribes were supposed to teach everybody what all of that was. So these are the religious people of the day, the most outwardly religious people of the day that are saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe Jesus is breaking all of our rules. He's hanging around with sinners. You see, there was a problem 2,000 years ago that actually hasn't changed. And that is for the really religious people to think it is all about them doing the right stuff and avoiding people who are not doing what they do. So they thought it was the best way to avoid sinners. Their approach was very, very simple. People who are not like us could be like us any day. They know where the temple is. They can come to the temple. They should choose to come to the temple. They should just do what is right and be like one of us. They are not our problem. We're righteous. And so Jesus is going to have a problem with them and, and talk to them in just a moment. But what we face today is still 2,000 years later, people that think it is all about once I know God, my job is now to go to church. And everybody else, well, that's their own problem. But Jesus is saying, look, that's really not the way it works. Because what Jesus chose to do was not to hang around those religious people, but to actually go and hang around sinners. And some of us today still focus on trying to avoid those people because, we're, well, we've heard the sermons. I mean, bad company corrupts good character. So the good Christian thing to do is to stay away from bad people, right? Well, the good Christian thing to do is to not let sinners influence the way you live. That's not the same. So some people have said, okay, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to go hang around sinners. Well, the problem is we don't ex necessarily excel at what Jesus did because we go and hang around sinners, but then we start to, to be just like them. And so we're no longer a witness for Jesus anymore. What we need to realize is Jesus managed to get both sides of the wrong, and he made them right. 
So he didn't just hang out in the temple and wait on people to come. He went to where the people were. He invested his time and his energy with them. He spent life with them, but he never changed who he was. He stayed an example of godliness in the midst of sinners. So he actually did some good in being there. And this is what we should not miss in the story. They loved him. That means they can also love you. If we could stop just saying we don't care about you and it's whatever, you know, we're all good people over here and y'all, whatever. No, no, no. I mean, if we actually went and did life with them and loved them and cared about them, but yet still said, well, hey, you know, this is just who I am. I, I, I do this. I don't do that because of who I am. I mean, people make choices every day because of a value. What's wrong for you to have a Christian value? It's just that we have somehow turned our Christian values into an excuse and a platform for judging other people. And that's what we miss. So um, some of you are upset with me for even saying that. And so I'm just going to go on. Because at this point, Jesus then turns to these Pharisees and these scribes and he tells them a story. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one? Which one of you would not leave the 99 that are safe, secure, they've got a great future, everything's taken care of, they know what's going on, and go after the one until? I think that's one of the most powerful words in that whole passage. Go after the one until he finds it. You see, Jesus tells us repeatedly in Scripture, I've only come to reveal my Father. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. My heart is my father's heart. I say the words that my father says. So what Jesus is actually telling us right here is, according to his father, it is never okay for one to be lost. It's never okay. That's why we're going to leave the 99. We're going to go after this one because it is not okay that one is lost. I mean, 1%? I mean, most of us would be like, that's a pretty good ratio as a shepherd, 99%. Most people don't make 99% on their cell calls, right? I mean, come on, this this guy's doing good. Why is he going after the one? Because it's the Father's heart. It's never okay for one of his children to be lost. Until. It was after the one until. Think about the way that we, even if we say, you know what, man, I'm really going to try to invite my co-worker to church. And we know I've invited him to Easter twice and Christmas once. I'm just going to lay off, man. I guess he's not interested. How old were you when you made Jesus your king? 16? I mean, 16 years, God was patient with you and never gave up on you. 40? 40 years, God was patient with you and never gave up on you. And we give up after two rejections or two times they seem like they don't want to talk. Go after the one until. If you only remember one word as you walk out of this room today, please remember the word until. Because I think that is the Father's heart. So Jesus continues with the story. He says, when he has found it, He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He never says a thing about rejoice with me. I brought 99 back. I had 100. I brought 100 home. He doesn't even mention that. He just says, Rejoice with me. I lost one. It's not lost anymore. He says, Just so I tell you. Now keep in mind, Jesus was there. He's been to heaven, right? He was there at the beginning of the creation. He came down from heaven, and he gives us a picture into heaven. I think sometimes when we read, we don't stop and think about the truth of his statement. He says, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. I've been there, done that. I know it. I saw it happen. There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons 
who need no repentance. And he's really talking to two groups of people. You have to decide which group you're in today. The first group is he's talking to the Pharisees, the people who think they're righteous by what they've done, how they've acted, by how much they go to church, by what they do, how much they give, everything. They think they're righteous. And Jesus is saying to them, you're not really right. There's no such thing as righteous who needs no repentance. That's not, doesn't really exist. You guys are not only far from my father's heart, you're far from reality. And someday you'll find that out. But he is talking to a second group of people because there are righteous people today. Who are the righteous people today? The people who are right with God by the blood of Jesus Christ. They know that he is their Lord and Savior. We saw three of them get baptized, right? And I would like to think that many of you here today are righteous. You have called on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yes, you are righteous. But you are a righteous person who needed repentance. And you figured that out. Now, I know some of you are here today and you're going to be very uncomfortable with what I'm about to say, but the reality is some of you are the one. It's just the truth. Please don't be offended. Every one of us at one point is the one. Every single one of us at one point has to wake up and realize my God in heaven or that God in heaven is a perfectly holy God. And I'm tired of feeling guilty. I'm tired of knowing that I'm not a perfect person. I'm tired of knowing that I try to do good, but I don't do good enough. I'm tired of the way I feel. I want to know God loves me. Every one of us at some point has to wake up and say, I'm that one. And then we realize, oh, that's what Jesus has done. That's who Jesus is. He came, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. So when his blood was shed, he didn't pay for his sins. He didn't have any. He paid for my sins. And because he's paid for my sins, when God in heaven looks at me, he sees righteousness. He sees me right with him because of what my big brother Jesus did for me. Some of you here today are the one. And before you leave, I'm giving you an opportunity to change that. But some of us get really uncomfortable with this whole passage that there's more rejoicing over one than 99. And we say, wait a minute. You mean us in here and singing our songs and declaring much about God and Jimmy, you preparing sermons and us listening to that and taking notes and talking about it in a small group and trying to change my life. You're telling me that's not important? Nope, I'm not. Nor did Jesus say it wasn't important. Jesus just said it wasn't first. See, it's really important what we do. It matters to God. Worshiping God has great value. It matters to him. Learning from his word matters, has great value to him. Being a church family upon the earth matters to him, has great value. Sharing life together, praying for one another matters to him, has great value. It's just all second to what's first. Because see, all of us are already going to heaven. We're safe. We're secure. We know who our king is. Yeah, we have struggles. Yeah, we're still human. Yeah, we're still broken, but we're going to heaven. We're forgiven. And there are those who are not. And that comes first. And that is the simple point that Jesus is trying to make. Now that you are in God's kingdom, all of this stuff matters, but there is a point that rises above it all. And the point is you are on planet earth for a reason. It's not to have church services your church services will be so much better in heaven. First of all, you will have a pastor who does not have a cert, like a southern accent. His name is not Jimmy. I mean, I won't have to have notes and an iPad that keeps blinking and doing weird things. I mean, it's just going to be amazing in heaven. The worship is going to be led by angels. I mean, our worship team is pretty good. I think they're really good. But angels kind of hard to beat. I mean, they've been doing it for millennia. They've got some experience. Y'all know what I'm saying? It's going to be better. We're not here to do this. This is what we do while we are here to do that. 
to reach those who do not yet call Jesus their king. And do you know how easy it is to lose sight of this? Even for pastors? Let me tell you a true story. I was invited to Malawi, Africa, to do a conference for pastors on how to grow their church and reach their city. And apparently they only wanted me to do the first half of the title. Because I began by saying, before I tell you anything about how to help grow your church, I'm going to tell you about why you're going to grow your church and where the people to grow your church are going to come from. And I pointed out the window to everybody who was hurting, everybody that they had driven by that day, walked by and didn't care about. And I said, the only reason we're here, the only reason you need to grow a church is because you need to reach the lost and bring them into your church. We're not gonna, I'm not going to talk to you about how to grow your church by taking it from somebody else who's already in this room. Now, you would have thought that it would have been dead silent because I just rebuked them, but it wasn't dead silent. It actually got very loud. An entire uproar took place as some of them stood to their feet and started yelling at me. And then some who actually agreed with me that people needed to go to heaven stood up and started yelling at them. And so then they figured out that they were embarrassing each other as everybody got to their feet and started yelling. And so they decided they didn't want me to know what was going on. So they switched their tribal language to Chichewe. And just, I didn't know what was going on except my conference was over. <laughs> Two sentences in. A room full of pastors didn't even want to be reminded why we're here. I've told you a story once before of my wife and I. We were on vacation. We have four children. We lost two of them, like really lost, like a two and a three-year-old. We had a 12-year-old at the time, a two and a three-year-old, an infant in a stroller, and I'm not going to repeat that whole story. We were leaving a pool area at a resort, and they, to make sure that they controlled who got out, they had a single-file gate. By the time we got everybody in the stroller out, we were missing a two and a three-year-old. We had gone from six people to four people, and that is funny now. It was not funny then. And so the, I'm not going to tell you that story again and what all we went through and how we felt. What I want to share with you is a part of the story I've never told you before, and that is how our 12-year-old son responded. You see, as my wife and I, as parents, are missing our two children, we didn't just go looking for a few minutes and say, well, I don't know, I didn't find them. Uh, how about you? No, no. Well, I hope they get a good home. I want the word of the day for you to be until. Because we looked until. And nothing mattered until. Now, th there's no surprise that that's what my wife and I did. And there's no surprise that my wife and I as parents with children who were lost suddenly figured out God's heart for his lost children. There's, that's, no, that's not the surprising part of the story. The surprising part of the story is that a sibling does have a choice. I mean, a 12-year-old is just as likely to say, well... I mean, come on, they were really kind of annoying and they would make the car stink. I mean, who really cares? I mean, come on, I'm hungry. And I know some of you go, Jimmy, that's stupid. There's no way a sibling would do that. And I would say, but we do it every day. Instead of us being worried about our lost coworker, we get in a fight with them because they keep taking the stapler out of our drawer and not putting it back. Instead of praying for our neighbor and inviting them to church, we can't even talk to them because we cussed them out the last time that their dog used our grass. They're the people we know we should invite to church, but we haven't talked to them since that last social media post they made where they said something about us. At least we know it's about us. I mean, how dare they? Truth is, we act like siblings who don't have a parent's heart. 
for a lost child. And I think what God wants to do today is give us a parent's heart for a lost child, a father's heart. Because the beautiful thing in that picture for us is that our 12-year-old got it. He ran as fast as he could to look everywhere he could, and then when we wanted to run and look somewhere different, he kept a screaming, crying baby that didn't understand it's 98 degrees and she hadn't been fed, and she's supposed to be okay with that. He never said a word about how hungry or tired he was. He never complained once they got back. He got it. And the question today for you and me is how many of us are going to get rid of our sibling heart and develop our father's heart and to understand that that's the point. To go after one until. And so today I'm actually going to close with a charge, something I've never done. Usually I'll, I'll challenge you to something which is personal, you can take it or leave it. And uh, sometimes I try to leave you with inspiration. I'm not as good at that part. But I today feel like the Holy Spirit told me this morning, so I didn't get this right on Thursday, sorry to them, but to, to charge you. What that means is when I do a wedding ceremony, I charge the two people in front of me to keep their promise. I don't just say it's a good idea, good luck with that. I charge them, like your life goal is to keep this promise from this moment forward. So I want to charge us as a church to be people who will go after the one until. Because here's the reality. Every one of us has a one. Matter of fact, let's just allow the Holy Spirit to speak right now. Holy Spirit, I ask you to show every single person here one in their life. And I absolutely know for sure every one of you just saw a face or a name. You know somebody. It's a coworker, it's a family member, it's that weird uncle at your family reunion, or it's your next door neighbor whose dog you can't stand. But you've all got one in your life, probably more than one, but you've all got one who does not call on Jesus as their Lord and Savior right now. That means they are gonna face the reality of hell because they are imperfect and they will have to deal with their sins if they don't accept the gift of salvation from Jesus dealing with their sins for them. We already talked about that. I wanna charge you as a church to be people who go after the one until. I'm gonna give you four words to make this really simple because you think, oh no, what is he gonna ask me to do? That's hard, I don't know how to do that, I don't know how to preach. No, 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 four words you can do. You can do these four words. If you'll accept the charge to go after one until. First word is pray. Amen. Way too many times you've actually tried to invite somebody to church or you've tried to talk to them and they rejected you. Let me tell you, it doesn't do any good to talk to a human about anything if the Holy Spirit's not talking to them. That's, that's the truth on every level. That, that's for free. I'll just take that and apply it across the board. Don't bother talking to a sinful human if the Holy Spirit's not already doing it, especially about Jesus. So just start praying. You may have to pray for the next 10 years. Until is your word of the day. Go after the one until. Pray. While you're praying, the next two words, spend time. Spend time with them. That's what Jesus did. You will never communicate God's heart to them without them seeing your heart for them. If you're not willing to spend time with them, they know you're a statistic. 
They're a statistic to you. That's what I meant. They know it. If the only time you talk to them is to give them a, a church invitation at Christmas and Easter or to yell about the dog, they know it. So spend time with them. Share life with them. Do what Jesus did. And the last word is share. Someday they're going to ask a question. Someday you're going to see an opportunity. You, you heard Mike in the video at the very beginning. He moved to the Middle East. He didn't just start walking down the street telling everybody, hey, I'm here to talk about Jesus. I mean, because that would have either gotten him shot or killed. You know, I mean... So he just waited for a coworker to say, hey, tell me about how you name your kids. Hey, tell me about this. You just got to share. The opportunity will come, and all you got to do is share what Jesus has done for you and what he did on the cross. You know what he did on the cross. I would say it every week. I mean, it, it's not complicated. The truth is most of us think we've got to be theologians to answer their questions. You need to face the reality. They don't have theological questions. None of them care about the pre-tribulation and the post-tribulation and where, I mean, they don't even know the words. I want to tell you what they care about, the same thing you care about. How do I feel like my life matters? How do I deal with this shame and this guilt that I feel every day when I wake up and I think about what I've done or what I've looked at on the internet? Can you help me? You don't need to be a theologian. You just need to be a human who knows Jesus. So I'm going to charge you today, Grace Life. I mean, we're not a tiny church. I don't say that with an ego. But we're big enough to make a difference if everyone went after one until, and then you got another one, and you went after one, until you just keep asking the Holy Spirit to show you somebody, somebody in your life that needs to know him. I'm going to leave it to you to decide if you'll accept the charge. Let me pray for us. God, we just today ask you to give us your heart for these people, for this world, for one. Give us your heart for that one, the one that you showed us earlier. Will you give us your heart? We know everything flows out of our heart. When we're excited about vacation, we can't sleep. When we're excited to, to get a promotion and our heart gets wrapped up in it, we pray to you, we beg you for it. God, wherever our heart is, we're all in. So God, today we just ask one simple thing. Would you give us your heart for your lost one? Give us your heart. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that right now you are the one. It may be hard to admit, but you know the truth, and that is you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And you know that you don't really have an answer for any of your own sins, anything that makes you imperfect. You see, God is a perfectly holy God, and we may be pretty good people. You may even be close, but you're not perfect. And so those things, either thoughts, attitudes, actions that separate us from God, well, they have to be paid for. And the good news is Jesus died on the cross so his blood could pay for our sins so you don't have to pay for your own. It's what we call the free gift of salvation. And if you have never made that exchange, I want to help you make that right now, wherever you are. Would you say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today would you give me a life of great meaning and fill me with your spirit?
Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody? Oh, 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 oh,